Hi everyone, Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to continue to share the exciting news that the Healing Place podcast, thankful to you as listeners, is now in the top 2.5% globally out of 2,820,473 podcasts as ranked by Listen Score. Um, so still celebrating that and smiling big over that. And be sure to go to my website, which is terrywellbrock.com, T-E-R-I-W-E-L-L-B-R-O-C-K. And either fill out the pop-up that comes up on the screen when you first arrive at the website, or go up in the corner and click on subscribe and uh, sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter because I'm also part of the Shift Network now and I will be sending you links. Uh, I'm an affiliate partner with them of just some amazing programs, a lot of free um, summits and resources and um, events being conducted on healing. Uh, they then give you the opportunity to to purchase courses and so forth, but uh, but these are these are free events uh, that you can you can sign up for. So, and now for another wonderful hope for healing conversation. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host Terry Welbrock, and like I'm doing a happy dance here because I have Dr. Nancy Stella here, who is a psychologist, and I'm so excited in Cincinnati because all of you know that uh, I just moved to Hilton Head Island a year and a half ago uh, from Cincinnati. Grew up there my whole life, um, so yeah, she's here to talk about a book she recently released, "Fear Traps: Escape the Triggers That Keep You Stuck." And then uh, a process called Courageous Brain Process, or CBP, six-step science-based treatment plan to help people overcome fear. Yay. So welcome, Dr. Nancy. Thank you. Thank you, Terry, for having me on today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And I don't know which direction to go in first. I guess let's talk about this CBP. Um, what is it? And um, I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, we just talked beforehand with my fear history and anxiety right. history. I'm, I'm so excited to learn about it. Okay. Um, the, let me take a step back first and explain what the model grew out of. Uh, as a psychologist, uh, I spent 20 years in practice helping patients, treating primarily anxiety and trauma, helping patients find relief. The problem was there wasn't a, it didn't fix it. It didn't get rid of it. People would feel better, but it didn't last. And I couldn't quite figure out what was wrong. You know, what I was promised in school, if I just do these things, this will fix people, didn't work. I experienced a trauma of my own. My husband of 22 years had said he no longer loved me and wanted a divorce. And this threw me for a loop. One, because I wasn't expecting it. And two, what it did was trigger old trauma for me. And my reaction to what he had said, the way I reacted, I knew wasn't healthy and I knew wasn't a way to win him back. I became needy, I cried, I pleaded. And what I realized is I was acting out trauma I had experienced when I was five. My father had died shortly before I turned five. 
And my family was an immigrant family and he was the patriarch. And when he died, the family fell apart. Okay, we lived, I lived with a grandmother who really didn't speak English well. My mother was then in and out of psychiatric hospitals. So the loss, I realized when I had lost my dad, I was acting, I acted appropriately like a five-year-old. I was crying, I was needy, I was clingy. And I realized I started reenacting that when I was in my 40s, when my husband said he was going to leave. The problem was I couldn't stop it. I didn't know what was going on so that I couldn't stop it. So what I did was I started working through, looking through the neuroscience literature, trying to figure out what was going on with my brain, that it would take me to these like scary places. I felt like I was abandoned. I felt literally like I could not survive without him. I was successful at the time. I had a thriving practice. So I knew I could be okay, but I didn't feel like I would. So through my own work, I developed this model. And what I found was it worked for me. And then I started using it with my clients and I found it worked for them. It's not easy and takes a lot of work, but it works. And and basically, just to give a little bit of brain history, Um, and not to get all science walky on you, is that, you know, our brain is designed for survival. It doesn't care if we're happy. It wants us to survive. So anytime we have a traumatic event, and it has to be a traumatic event for that person, somebody else might not think it's traumatic, but if it's traumatic for that person, your brain hangs on to that. And it wants you to avoid any situation like that at all costs. And I'm going to give you uh, just kind of one example. I used to, I had a pan, I got stuck on a bridge once and I had a panic attack. Well, from that day on, I was afraid to drive over bridges. And what I found was it really wasn't so much at the bridge I was afraid of. It was a way I was afraid of what I was feeling, but my brain hung on to saying, whoa, bridges are bad. So avoid them. And I did for many years. Um, And so what I found was that working through some of the old trauma, I was able to bring myself more into my adult self, almost like reparenting myself. And and I developed the model from the steps that I took. Wow. Yeah. I mean, my brain is just sitting here going, yes, because one, we talked about the whole bridge thing before we hit record. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah. people who are fans of the show and have been listening for a long time know I've, I've brought it up before um, about, but I love this idea of what you're, which we've again talked about here on the show before is the whole brain plasticity thing, of, yes, you know, yes. our brain. Um, and so that's real. Is that, is that what this is? Is, is, oh, Yes, absolutely. Uh, we used to believe, you know, 20 years ago that once the brain was formed, it was formed, uh, you know, much like concrete, and you're not going to change it. We have found out that the brain has what's called neuroplasticity. And that means we can change, you know, what our brain does is through our development and through our experience forms neuro, what's called neural pathways. And basically that's just how our brain communicates with itself and kind of guides us what to be afraid of, what not to be afraid of. Uh, you know, the problem is the parts of our brain where like anxiety comes from or where trauma is stored can't see reality. So it can't see reality. So it takes its cues from, and this is crude, kind of what our smart brain worries about and our past experiences. 
So that brain gets conditioned to react to things that have frightened us in the past. Okay, those kind of triggers. We have found that by plowing through initially, because that's what it feels like, plowing through trauma or negative experiences, we can develop new communication, new pathways. You know, it's much like driving on, oh, let me think, of, I'll give you an example. It's like a meadow. Let's say you wanted to go through the meadow point A to point B. The first time you walk through it, well, you're not really even going to see a path that you made. But the more that you walk through that meadow, the path gets formed and you have a clear defined path. With trauma, what happens, it's like a big truck goes through that meadow and boom, forms a pathway. And if you have repeated trauma, you know, you'd start developing trenches. So the goal is to develop new pathways. And that is what uh, the courageous brain process does. The other thing that's important about the courageous brain process is helping people recognize that even though chronologically we may be one age, developmentally we're a variety of ages. So what that means, and I'm going to go back to my example, when my husband said he was leaving, it took me back to feeling like a five-year-old. And what I did was I problem solved like a five-year-old. And what worked when I was five didn't work when I was in my 40s. So part of it is recognizing if you're thrown back to an earlier developmental stage, how do you begin reprocessing the information and learning new ways to solve. Typically, it's an emotional reaction that you have. And so with my process, you know, really quickly, I'll go through the steps. Yes, please. Uh, is, and it's going to sound simple, but it's not. So just to kind of let, let your readers know, this does take uh, quite a bit of work. Um, but the first step is helping people learn to tell their story. What, what is incredibly important is for people to be able to tell their story. Um, sometimes you know, our memories are not reliable. And, and you know, when we tell our story, that doesn't matter. What it matters is what we think. So we have to tell our story. And in the process of telling our story, we begin to identify ways that we self-sabotage now from this story. And we begin to understand where is that coming from? Where in our history does this come from? Okay. And particularly when it's early trauma, because when it's earlier trauma, as an adult, you may say, oh, that's not a big deal. But for a child, adolescent, young adult, it could be very well be a big deal. And that kind of stuck with them. Um, and I'm going to give you an example, because I know we've talked about EMDR. Um, and I went through EMDR. Um, for myself and as part of my training. And I remember when I was in third grade, I had a, um, I, I was in a Catholic school and I had a teacher uh, hold up two drawings or colorings, I should say. One's the way, one way is the way that you do it. And the other way is the way not to do it. And mine was a way not to do it. Oh. And I was horrified. Now, no one knew my name. They didn't know who did that drawing, but it horrified me and I was shamed. And what that did to me is I gave up art. You know, no, what did I like art? You know, I'm not good at it. I can't draw. I can't do this. Um, I went through EMDR and the courageous brain process. And what I found is I then owned a pottery studio. I found I'm going to get back in touch with the art that I loved. But I had to resolve that past shameful trauma of feeling like an eight-year-old 
for what I couldn't do well. Now, is that a big deal as an adult? No, but as a child, it was a big deal. And that impacted me, you know, until I was in, in my forties. So, yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. So it's important to, for people to tell their stories, kind of what their perceptions are, to be able to identify what their triggers are. Then we go through and describe what are your patterns of self-sabotage? You know, beginning to know what is what do I do that prevents me from getting what I want or prevents me from feeling the way that I want to. So it's beginning to look at how do I self-sabotage? Most of us don't do that. Most of us tend to believe what we think and what we feel. And it's beginning to look at that. Sometimes our thoughts and feelings don't always tell us the truth. So what am I doing that may be self-sabotaging or what behaviors or thoughts, self-talk am I repeating that just keeps me stuck? Then the next part is as imagining the worst case scenario. And what I found was, uh, particularly with my clients, is most people, when they're willing to go through in detail the worst case scenario, they come out the other end and say, well, yeah, I asked them, well, could you survive that? Yeah, I won't like it, but can you survive it? Yes. And most of the time, the worst case scenario never happens. And then we begin going through typically um, the courageous bra- exercises for the courageous brains. And this involves a combination of mindfulness meditation with structured exercises targeted towards what somebody's specific fear is. Okay. And so when I say fear trap, a fear trap is an overreaction or an out, it's an out of proportion reaction to an event. So anytime we have an out of proportion reaction to an event, we're stuck in a fear trap because it's triggering old stuff. And this can I just be, gave you lots of information. Yeah. And this can be a benign, benign event as well, right? Something that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It can be a mundane event that just stuck for that person. Somehow at that moment, their, their, how their brain interpreted that situation stuck with them. Can, can and, I give a little example ahead. real quick? So we recently in the past few weeks, I, I live on Hilton Head Island, right? On this beautiful, yeah. these beaches that are amazing. And I, I, my favorite place in the world was always just to walk along the surf and kick my toes in the, you know, as the waves were crashing in. And since living here, I had developed more and more and more this fear of the beach, a fear of open spaces, like fear, feeling very exposed, vulnerable. And so I would have to put my umbrella up right away. And if I was under the umbrella, then it was kind of like my little hermit crab shell. And okay, I'm all right, you know. And so, and so I knew that okay, there's an issue going on here. Here's some trauma coming up from the past and let's see what's happening. Did some brain plasticity work, mindfulness practice and all that, but we dove into it in the MDR. How amazing to me that when we went back into one of the sessions, I suddenly popped to nine years old on a soccer field and my parents who were hilariously funny people and well, my mom still is at 86, but they were laughing and pointing at me and told me after the game, you need to play goalie. You just look, you look ridiculous when you run, like just making fun of me. Right. And yes. Shaming me. yes. And they thought it was hilarious, but my little nine-year-old brain was like, Oh my gosh, I can, I should never run. Like it's right. I, I would be an embarrassment to myself. And so 
long story, it was a much more complicated process, but we get into this in EMDR and um, came down to the fact that uh, we were out on the beach playing the whole family, everybody was having a good time. And uh, someone had said, you know, oh, it's okay. Mom, you know, mom will be the last one or Terry will be the last one anyway, because she can't run. And so that that connection happened. It was, right. it, again, very benign, just a right. funny little, you know, out fun. But then my brain said, oh my gosh, well, if you're out here and something happens and you need to get away, you can't run. You can't run. Right. And right. So, so yeah, so we were able to do some healing work. I'm back out on the beach. I'm having fun Good. playing bocce ball, but it's amazing. Yeah. Like what you were saying, that truck came through and went through the meadow. <laughs> right. 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 And, you know, and again, people have a variety of triggers and, you know, it, when it is something that is clearly a trauma, uh, People, even with the shame around it, people can recognize it's a trauma. But when it's something that's smaller, that somebody may say, well, what was the big deal about that? When things happen when we're a child, they stick with us. And our challenges as an adult is, and again, I'm going to go back to the concept of if our reaction is out of proportion to the event, old stuff is coming up. We're reacting to old stuff. And so that's what happened when you were on the beach, you know, yeah. you became a nine-year and you start problem solving like a nine-year-old then, you know, I'm going right. to stay under protected right. under my umbrella. Yes. Yes. So I don't have to run. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for letting me intercede my little story. <laughs> so we were on what step were you on? Step four? Well, I actually, I, actually, I think, let's see the four. I always have to go back. I always because with with clients, it's a little bit more of a fluid process. Um, but you know what we do. Step four is actually identifying the worst case scenario, recognizing that you can survive it. Step five is then going through the process of um, beginning the healing, and I give a series of kind of exercises. And in the book, I. I identify six most common fears that people have. And it starts with very, you know, kind of emotional, primitive fears. Like the first one being alone, I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of being abandoned. And it, then it, it goes to a little bit more complex fears, like fear of the unknown or fear of confrontation. And what we do through this series of exercises is the problems identified, we then go through a process of learning to validate those feelings, where they're coming from, and be able to work through on an adult level, what's the solution, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that these things that happened in the past are going to be happy events um, and say, oh, I'm just so glad that happened. But how can I manage my emotional reaction so I am no longer triggered, traumatized, by what's happened in the past? How can I live a fear-free life and be, feel free, no longer be afraid? You know, doesn't mean we don't get stirred up. It's just recognizing when we're stirred up, how to deal with it. And sometimes what I'll tell people is if you feel overwhelmed at the moment when you're stirred up, think of the duck, I call it the duct tape rule. Imagine for 24 hours, you're just kind of bound by duct tape. You have it over your mouth and you're not going to say anything, respond to it, 
or do anything. Let it kind of settle because the brain does settle. We can't be in a high state of anxiety for too long of an extended time because our body goes, oh, forget it. This is just, you know, this is too much. It's exhausting. So let the brain settle and then decide how you want to respond. And that's how I did it when my marriage was ending. I would have to wait, you know, give myself 24 hours before I would respond to something that triggered me. Wow. That's a really amazing because I had heard that before of a panic attack can only last so long or this heightened yes, state yes. can only last so long. And um, yeah, to allow it. And that's one of the things that, again, just comes up so often in trauma recovery work is just learning to be in the body, learning to allow it and just recognizing, almost taking a step back from it and saying, okay, what are you trying to tell me? What, what do I need to learn from this? And right. what's coming up? Right. And yeah. not to be afraid of what you feel, because it really is just a feeling. You know, panic attacks are terrible. Um, they last on average eight to 10 minutes. People say, oh, no, I have them all day. Well, what they end up is a series of panic attacks, yeah. because what they're focusing on is just what's going on inside them. So their brain is very sensitive to any changes in heart rate, respiration. And if they, you know, starting to calm down and then they notice an increase, the brain notices an increase, it kind of triggers the body to uh, produce adrenaline, which gives us an uncomfortable feeling. And again, you know, the, where in this, the area in the brain, the amygdala area where that panic originates from can't again it's important to remember we can't see reality so it takes its cues from how we think so if we're starting to feel anxiety or upset about something and we say oh no that amygdala goes oh i have to protect my person and how i protect my person is but it, and most of your listeners probably know, are aware of the flight fight or freeze response i want them to be protected because that part of the brain doesn't know are you reacting to a bridge? Are you reacting to potential conflict? Or are you reacting to a tiger chasing you? So the more the smart brain worries about something, the more that anxiety brain is going to pump out that adrenaline. So, you know, it's looking at a combination of how do I manage what I think combined with managing what I feel. And oftentimes people have multitude of self-sabotaging thoughts, which just gets them down that rabbit hole. Yes. The other piece about the brain, and, and again, not that I want to go too far down this, is that uh, our pleasure centers in our brain, our dopamine receptors, are actually activated when we worry and when we fret. Now, it doesn't mean it feels good to worry, but between our amygdala and those pleasure centers, that's what makes it so hard to shift away from what we worry about. Because the brain, again, is designed to keep us safe. It doesn't care if we're happy. It wants us to be safe. And people who've experienced trauma in their life, you know, they have those super anxiety brains, super amygdala, because that brain's not going to let that happen to them again. You know, so no, you're never going on a soccer field again. Right. You know, you're never going to color a picture again. You know, um, so, you know, you've got to get that person back because you can't survive without them. Right. You know, and, and then you're driven by, you know, those emotions. Yeah. Now, do you, do you utilize mindfulness practices at all to like redirect oh, people? Oh, absolutely. And in the exercises, there's mindfulness meditations. They tend to be structured and it's structured around your story combined with what your fear is. Absolutely. Because mindfulness is grounding. 
Yeah. The more anxious that we are, the harder it is to use. And I always tell my clients, you know, you need to practice mindfulness, relaxation before you need it. Because if you try to do it just when you need it, that anxiety brain's going, you got to be kidding me, because whatever the smart brain's worrying about may eat you. So no, so it's like practice, practice, practice. And for people who've experienced significant trauma, relaxation and mindfulness is very threatening. Uh, that feeling of vulnerability. So we take it very slow. You know, sometimes it's like saying, okay, we're going to do mindfulness for five seconds. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so when you get into the shower, just imagine, you know, feel the soap on your arms. What does that feel like? And what, you know, the more anxious or more preoccupied you are, your mind's going to go all over the place. The goal is just to bring it back with your focus, you know, you know, and that's just the process. And then also going through the relaxation breathing to help calm the body. Yeah. I literally put it on my daily to-do list, practice mindfulness yes. when I first became aware of it. And it really, it, it really was five minutes, go outside, look at, look for bugs, like find a lady, yes. Yes. find an ant, yes. just watch it crawl around, like be, be in the now, in the moment, be cognizant. And, but it became a, 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 bleh, a habitual pattern because it was practiced well that new neural pathways are developed you know again you're developing that's neuroplasticity we can our brain can develop new ways of thinking you know we can teach an old dog new tricks so it does work uh and again what if clients are have a a lot of hypervigilance typically what i'll do is i'll tell them to when they're being mindful talk out loud it's harder to have competing thoughts when we're speaking so even if it means you're walking and counting your steps yeah i walk from here to that water fountain it's 20 steps and i walk back you know and just to become more aware that's so and it works say that because we were sitting at a very busy intersection which again makes me uncomfortable i'm i've i've work through it and do it so much better. But I was sitting there and my daughter was next to me and she's like, what are you doing? Because she could see me. I was counting the lights. And so I was just, I was just counting because I knew that that was helping to calm my system and just keep me here in the moment until traffic, you know, the light turned and I needed to do what I needed to do. But, and so I just explained to her what was happening, but it was, it was just, it was my way to just kind of keep myself here instead of letting it go. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. You've got it down here. Right. Right. (laughs) I know this, this old dog has learned some new tricks. (laughs) That's awesome. So, so really in this book is what you do with folks in, in therapy sessions. Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, and it's a process uh, and it's not necessarily quick. Um, what I found is in putting this in, in writing is that people can do it on their own. Now, if someone has some really horrific trauma and they feel like they can't do it on their own, then I recommend, you know, you need to get with a good counselor therapist uh, to be able to help you work through this. And this book can be done as an adjunct to EMDR. It can be an adjunct to other kinds of therapies. It's an empowering book because it's hopeful. And I'm going to go through this again. I know it works because I've used it myself. Yeah. Well, I mean, hope is, is my middle name. Not really, but like it's, it's, 
that's what I focus on. Everything I do, my my newsletter is Hope for Healing, and uh, it's just my underlying current in my in the soul work that I do because that's what it's all about. It's just giving something people something that they can hold on to to say, I can do this. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and it is freeing to be able to say. I can do this. I can manage what I feel and be okay. Doesn't mean I like maybe the circumstances, but I can be okay. Right. I mean, I am happy now. I am happy. I have a great life. Nothing spectacular, but I love, I mean, I'm just happy. Uh, And I never thought I would, you know, it, it took me a long time to be able to get there, but I know that going through this process kind of will shortcut it, make it so if people start using it, it works. Well, and that's, I think that's just such a beautiful, valid point that you bring up is that so many trauma survivors and people who have been through or in the midst, even in the midst of something horrible happening, that you can still live this life of happiness and peace and joy, even while you're in this process and that, but that it is possible to get to this point, no matter what you've been through. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Empowering. And hi, Sammy. Oh, did you see her? So Sammy, it just saw Sammy (laughs) behind you. I know. Sammy, you should come say hi. She's like, yeah, no, I'm back in a new new nap spot. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to address before we were done for the day? No, I, I would like to give my website, which is nancystella.com. On the website, uh, if you sign up and you can always unsign, there are there's you can download the nine most common triggers. And I think once people realize, oh, if I feel this way, this is a flag. And you know, for example, if I feel a sense of urgency that I got to fix this right now. I can't wait 24 hours. That's a trigger. You realize you're being triggered. If your thinking becomes very like black and white, all or none, if you start catastrophizing. So, you know, I think that could be helpful to people just to recognize if you have these kinds of behaviors, you're being triggered. Something from the past, whether it be from the last week or 30 years ago is unresolved for you. Yes. Uh, the book is also available on amazon.com. Awesome. Well, I'm going to, I'll put it out and on all my social media. Thank you, Terry. Yeah. You can find links in the show notes, everybody. And um, yeah, or you can go to the Facebook page and I'll have a link there for Amazon as well. Um, well, it's just been amazing to have you here. I I'm very excited to dive into your book and um, yeah. Do it alongside my EMDR therapy and yes. learn more about it. So I'm going to drive over that bridge. I'm going to send you a little message, you know, when I do. Oh, like I great, did it. Great. <laughs> yes, you did it. And you know, boy, will you be empowered. And remember, as you approach that bridge, really what you're afraid of is what you're going to feel. You yes. know, most, you know, it's not that you're trapped or you're going to drive off. Some people are afraid they're going to do something like I'm going to drive off the bridge. No, you're right. not. don't worry. You know, we just don't do those kinds of things. Um, and you're not trapped because you can always, even if you had to walk off it, you can yes. get off the bridge. Yes. yes. Okay. Well, oh, and now good. I can good. say, now I can say I can even run off of it. <laughs> yes. You yes, Yes. 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 You can run off of it. 
I did. You know, what's so funny is right after that particular session, I got, I, I signed up for a 5k because I said, I'm going to start training. I'm going, I don't care if I run like, you know, Phoebe from friends. If you ever saw yes. that episode, yes. Or Arm yes, 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 yes. I don't care what I look like. I'm going to go do this. So yeah. <laughs> good, good. Yes. Please let me know when you drive over the bridge so I can I celebrate. I will. Thanks. Okay. Well, right. again, just thank you for being here. It's just been wonderful. Oh, thank you, Terry. I'm just glad. Thank you for having me on. I very much appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the Academy terrywellbrock.com for the courses but if you go to my website terrywellbrock.com you can sign up for my monthly hope for healing newsletter which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for uh, again healing and hope strategies Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.